Well, tonight, I want to show you an extraordinary claim. It's a claim that at first sight or hearing, I think many of us might feel is a little unrealistic. You kind of go, it's a bit out there. I don't know where you are with Jesus, whether you've been a Christian your whole life, a few years, or whether you're here checking out Jesus. You're trying to kick the tires of Christianity and see if it kind of weighs up. We love having you here. We love people coming along and checking out who Jesus is. But tonight, as we look at the claim that's in front of us that we'll look at in a second, I want to say it's phenomenally important to work out if it's true. So I want to put to you that this claim, if it's true, could change your life. Not my claim, not some junk Rowan's got in his head or something to say, but a claim that I think will not only change your life, but change the world that we live in. I want to say that that might sound a little unrealistic again. You know, who's this guy? I reckon he's got all the answers to the world. I don't. I'm, <laughs> I don't at all. But as I've looked at what the Bible has to say, as I've seen the way history has unfolded, I think it's a claim that you see has already started to happen. A claim that we start seeing has changed the face of our planet already. Well, what is that claim? <laughs> well, it's written by a Jew in the first century AD, and it's all centered around a man named Jesus of Nazareth. Let's have a look at it together. It's from Romans chapter 1. It's on the screen. If you've got a Bible with you, you can pull it out in whatever shape or form you've got it there. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And this is what this Jewish man writes about Jesus. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. When you think of power, what comes into your head? What kind of idea or concept do, do you think of? For the engineers amongst us, well, it's, it's work over time, is that right? P equals W over T. You're like, woo. Um, is it that? All right. Uh, maybe for you, it's someone you know, someone powerful. For me, I've got a mate who's just moved to Wellington. Some of you might know him. His name's John O'McFarlane. He's a big dude. Uh, he has on his wall this belt which says on it, stamped in a metal plate, 2009 New Zealand's strongest man. Right, that's a lot of power, right? I'd love to have that belt. Obviously, I don't look at me. I'm like a tweak compared to him. But he's a powerful guy. But if you compare Jono with a guy or a girl on a bulldozer, like, he's not going to hold up, is he? And it's like, stop. Who do you think you are, Superman? Like, the bulldozer is going to win in that competition. The bulldozer is far more powerful. Then maybe you take that bulldozer and you put it against a tsunami. How's that, how's that going to end? Right, nature is phenomenally powerful. But humanity, we're powerful as well in different ways. Maybe power is more than just brute strength. Imagine the power of the most intelligent brains on, on the face of the planet coming together. Right, power for, for good. We've seen that in, in the discovery of things like penicillin, in, in the way that people get together and have great inventions that do marvelous good and heal diseases. There's great power in that. Or maybe, maybe power to do evil. The creation of bombs, of the hydrogen bomb, the most powerful bomb known to mankind. If you're looking for power in this world, where do you go? How would, how would you find it? Well, the claim of the Bible, the claim that I want us to not just accept like we've checked our brains at the door and we've come in and gone, oh yeah, this must be true because the Bible says it. But the claim of it is, and I'd love you to think through this, 
that the most powerful being in the world, the most the greatest amount of power is actually found on the lips of the creator of the universe. The one who spoke and creation came into being. The claim of the Bible is that if you're looking for power, God is your go-to guy. See, did you know that the sun, the total energy output of the sun for just one second, right? Imagine that. Total energy output of the sun for one second is equal to 1.8 billion of humanity's most powerful bombs. One second of the sun versus 1.8 billion of humanity's most powerful bombs we, we could come up with. That's, that's amazing. That's just for one second. And God made that sun with just four words. Let there be light. Do you know what it would take humanity working their butts off to, to create 1.8 billion nuclear weapons or, or atomic bombs? It would take us 6.2 billion years to make the amount of power and energy that the sun puts out in just one second. God claims the Bible is a phenomenally powerful God. I want to say, have you seen this God? What's your take on God? Who do you, who do you think he is? Do you think there is a God that exists? How do we know? What do we, what do we see? Well, I think you need to come to Jesus and have a look at what he has done. Because here's what's extraordinary. Here's what this guy, Paul, this first century Jew who was around the time of Jesus, he says that the full strength of the power of God is found in a few words. The full strength of the one who spoke and creation came into being, his greatest amount of power is found in words that are sitting open in front of you now on the screen here or in your Bibles. You have in your hands and before you, your eyes the power of God who spoke and the universe came into existence. And so Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The claim of the Bible is that this God, through these, this gospel, this news, that's what gospel means, just news, this news about Jesus and who he is and what he's done is for the salvation of the whole world. That just blows me away. Ordinary words, in these ordinary words that so many of us have passed by so often, is the full power of the creator of the universe. Have you seen that? But why are these words so powerful? Well, I think it's what Paul highlights for us here. It's because of their phenomenal reach. So you take the sun for a moment, right? The sun at one moment can't reach everyone on the face of the planet. We're shielded by, by the earth. We're on the other side. It's dark outside, right? We can't see the sun. We might be able to see the moon and a reflection of it, but the sun can't reach everyone at once. And even when the sun is out, it only takes a bit of cloud cover and we, we, we can't see it. It's blocked out. But Paul says that this news, this power of God, this gospel, can provide salvation to everyone. Everyone who's ever lived, everyone in the, for all who trust in Jesus, this power can affect you. It can affect me. It will change your destiny. What makes them so powerful? What is the effect of these words with phenomenal reach? We'll have a look at verse 17. For in the gospel, this news, a righteousness from God is revealed. 
a righteousness that is by faith or by trust, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, at first glance, you're like, what is that about? Some cryptic kind of, you know, churchy, religious theology, mumbo-jumbo word like righteousness, right? What is righteousness? Um, At its core, the word righteousness just means being right. And who doesn't love being right, right? Like, you love it when you're right. It's like you guess something and then someone says, yeah, that's actually right. You're like, yes, I'm right. You know, I don't need to apologize for getting it wrong. I don't need to say sorry. I love it when in, in my relationship with my wife, Sarah, I'm right. It's, it's brilliant. I'm like, hey, I'm right. Why I love it is because it's, it's so infrequent that it happens, right? She normally gets stuff right and I can't remember the details properly. And I'm like, no, yeah, I'm sorry, you were right. Um, being righteous means being right. But here, Paul is talking in this part of the Bible about being right, not just with your family and your friends and your neighbors, but being right with God. Being in right relationship with the creator of the universe, treating him as he deserves. Now, if you know anything about me, you know that I'm not a righteous person. I'm not right all the time. I don't, I don't treat others right all the time. I need to ask for forgiveness. To my family, to my friends, and to to the God who made me. And in fact, what Paul's going to explain in the rest of this letter, which is worth a read when you get home, is that we're all in that situation before God. None of us has treated God as we should have. Imagine for a moment that God is kind of like a power company. Just bear with me. You work it out. But let's just say God is like a power company. Now, imagine we treated God... um, like a power company. Say we went up to our power company and went, hey, look, I love the power you provide. Power's great. I love power. I love lights. Lights are really helpful. I enjoy cooking. I love it. But I just, I just, you know, I've got nothing against the power company as such. I just want to ignore you. Or I just ignore all the letters you send me in the mail saying that you need to respond to me properly. Uh, and I don't worry about paying you. I, just gotta, I love your work. Now, we haven't been rude to the power company. We haven't gone out and cut down power poles and graffitied on the side of kind of power stations to say, we hate this power company. We haven't been like that. But what would the right response be for the power company if we were to treat it like that? Pay up? up? Yep. Or what's the other option? Cut off. No power. Now, imagine we go to the creator of the universe. Imagine he does exist. Imagine he has made the world. And he's the one who sustains your very life and your very breath right now. And we say to him, look, I'm nothing, nothing rude, nothing against you. I just, I just want to ignore you. Ignore the letters that he sent us. What would be the right response for that creator of the universe? I'll tell you what it would be. To say, you don't want what I provide. You don't want life. Okay. And that's called death. And after death, we're called to pay up, to make right what we've done and how we've rejected him. Put it in the, in the realm of kind of someone important like the queen, right? Imagine going up to the queen and going, oh, stuff, you want nothing to do with you. There's something wrong about that. Like, she has a position, whatever you think, but she has a position of authority. How much more so the God who made you and me? Paul says that we as humans, as whole humanity, you and me, everyone is on the same page. We've got an issue with our relationship with God. We deserve our very lives to be cut off. This is a serious situation. We, we need saving. Because no one in this room is, is, is righteous. We have plenty to say sorry for. But here's the news. Here's why this gospel that Paul talks about, this news is, is so good. Verse 17, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Do you see that? 
in this news, there is a way that I can have stamped on every single one of my bills and my accounts with the creator of the universe paid in full. I can be declared as though I have no debt, nothing to be forgiven. I can be declared right with this God because he is revealing his righteousness for me. They're phenomenal words. Righteousness has been offered to you. That's the Christian message. Not work hard, do lots of good stuff, and maybe God will weigh up your good and bad deeds in the end, and if you've done enough good, then you're in. No, no, no. It's this. Rowan, you're stuffed. Your account is owing. You deserve to have your, your life cut off from the creator of the universe, but I've provided my son who is righteous, perfect. I've provided him in your place. I've offered you his clean slate of bill. You can have paid in full, stamped on every single one of your accounts. So Paul starts this letter. There's a little church in Rome in the first century AD by saying, do you see how amazing these simple words are? How they can affect not just your life here and now, but the next 40 billion years. Eternity is on offer. Life forever. Not death and then judgment and then hell is what the Bible says we all deserve. But life forever. Can you imagine 40 billion years from now still having another 40 billion to go and then another 40 billion after that? It's it's mind-blowing. The Bible says this is what's at stake and these words change what happens. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of these words. I want to proclaim them from the rooftops. These words are God's power for salvation for everyone who believes. At the end of humanity, there's only going to be two lines. One line that goes to eternal joy, one line that goes to eternal suffering. And the only thing that makes a difference between the people in either line is your response to these words. Do you trust the righteousness of God? Have you accepted what he's offered you in Jesus? There could be no more important words than these, could there? If this is true. But it doesn't just stop there, the power and effect of these words. Because these words didn't just kind of happen as some idea in someone's head and change the way you think. No, these words are about a historical event of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And throughout history, we have, we have people. There's kind of a history studded with people who have taken these words seriously. They've experienced the power of God of knowing they are forgiven because of what Jesus had done. And God transformed these people. And what I want to show you tonight is that these words have not only effect on our eternity, but right now. And they have a massive effect on the world that we live in. And they have had a massive effect throughout history. See, it was in reading these very words from Romans 1, 16 and 17 in the 16th century that an Augustinian monk got it. He'd been part of the Catholic Church. He kind of understood what was going on. He knew his Latin, but he never understood these words until he was reading them and he got it. A righteousness from God. It wasn't about what I did. It was about what had been offered in Jesus. His righteousness has been offered to me, not my own. His name was Martin Luther. And from that moment on, it changed his life. Luther was so changed by the power of God that he changed the course of European history. 
He brought about one of the, the greatest changes in religion, in, in social change, economic change, political change that the world has ever seen in the European Reformation. It made a difference to the way that education spread, <laughs> to the way that people love the sick and the poor because they took this message of who Jesus is and what he has done and they started living for a different king. They lived for the king who loved them and laid his life down for them. The news of what Jesus did freed Martin Luther to live for someone else, to buck up against the system, to shake the injustice and the lies of the society that he was in. 200 years later, a man walked into a bar. Sounds like a joke. (laughs) He was an Englishman. (laughs) And there he was in this bar and heard someone reading... Uh, the start of a book on the book of Romans. It was a commentary. It was Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. This guy heard what was going on and about how this righteousness was being offered by God and what the offer was. And for the first time, this guy got it. This guy was a Christian minister. But he didn't actually get the truth and power of these words. He he didn't get it. And there might be some of you here tonight. I'm a Christian. I live this way. But man, I've never heard it's got nothing to do with me and everything to do with Jesus. This guy's name was John Wesley, a guy that wrote some great songs, a guy that started the the Wesleyan church and the Methodist movement came out of him. Do you know, some of the the first missionaries to this very country uh, were Methodists. They were from Wesley and his kind of setup and what he was doing. The news of Jesus' death in our place changed the way he lived. Listen to what he says. It's on the screen. I felt my heart strangely warmed. This is when he heard Luther's writings. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation and assurance was given to me that he had taken my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Wesley couldn't help but to share the news of who Jesus is and what he had done. He did it with everyone he could find. He met with all sorts of people. One guy he met with was a young boy by the name of Billy. He and Billy met up and they, um, they, they read these words together with other young kids who were there and they got this news of what, what God had done. Billy kind of then walked away. He didn't really live that life. But he, 15 years later, Billy came back and it gripped him in a deep way and he remembered what it was to understand that God's righteousness had been offered to him. He was in politics. He was known by another name, not Billy, but William, William Wilberforce. It was the news of what Jesus had done for him that freed him to say, I need to abolish slavery. I'm living for a king who's died for me. Why are we having people in slavery? It was him who who drove that whole thing forward. Now, the reason William Wilberforce fought so hard for the abolition of slavery, it had nothing to do with good morals. It had nothing to do with social justice for social justice sake. He didn't just go, oh, this is just a good thing to do, a good thing for society. It was precisely because of what John Wesley had told him as a boy. The truth of the claim of Romans 1. Jesus had died in his place. He had offered him his perfect righteousness. And so Wilberforce was freed. In fact, compelled to love the world, the vulnerable, the suffering, by proclaiming the truth of Jesus and living that out so that slaves were free. In all of his life, Wilberforce only wrote one book. In it, he says his main goal in living. Listen to this. My main goal is to help England understand that transformation in life 
and in slave trade is the fruit of justification, not the root. Now, justification, another big kind of churchy word, it just means declared right. Let me read it again. My main goal is to help England understand that transformation in life and in the slave trade is the fruit of being declared right with God, not the root. In other words, social justice, loving the poor, caring for the sick, doesn't do squat for your relationship with God. Nothing. But because God has offered us his righteousness, he's offered paid in full across every one of our accounts, because the root is the truth and life of what Jesus has done, Wilberforce said our lives should bear fruit. If we trust what Jesus has done for us, if we're living for a different king, we're going to live very, very different lives. Ending the slave trade and finally slavery itself was not a noble cause for Wilberforce, but a public expression of what it means to love one's neighbor because of Jesus. Do you know that the whole reason, humanly speaking, Christianity is in New Zealand today is because, under God, of William Wilberforce? Do you know that when the first fleet came to Australia, Wilberforce was the one that made sure that the first chaplain to Australia, Richard Johnson, was a guy who believed this message, this news of the gospel. That was what he lived for. And then Richard Johnson, when he was there, made sure that the first person they sent to New Zealand, Samuel Marsden, was a guy who got the same thing. And just last year, as we celebrated the 200th anniversary of Marsden preaching this news on these shores, we have God to thank through the work of Jesus, who's then explained it to Paul, who then Luther got explained to Wesley in a bar, who then taught Wilberforce, who then sent Johnson, who Marsden came, and here we are in the heritage we have. Why? Because this news changes the world. This news changes 40 billion years from now for you and for me. There is no greater news than this. And today as we come to celebrate uh, together um, and hear how organizations like Tear and Compassion have been living out these truths, we get to celebrate the fact that these organizations, they're not driven just for social justice, for social justice sake. They're driven because they get the gospel. <laughs> they get the power of these words and they want to see children freed from spiritual poverty, free from death and judgment and they want to see people understand the truth that's on offer and to do that they want to relieve the poverty that exists to love them both as a neighbor both with the spiritual side and in and in the physical side the powerful claim of this bible is that it will impact your eternity but it will also impact if you've been gripped by it the way that you love the world around you both in what you say about this news, not never being ashamed of it. And the way you love your neighbor, the way you relieve poverty, because it's the fruit of the root that we trust in. If you're here and you haven't seen the evidence that exists for Jesus, we'd love you to come check Jesus out. Keep coming back. I don't want to push anyone into kind of any position to make a decision here and now. That's crazy. But I want to say to you, this news is at least worth checking out. And if you have, would call yourself a Christian, if you've trusted in this news, then I want to say, how is it impacting your life in the way you speak? In what you're ashamed of? In the way you love those around you? Because I want to challenge us today, myself included, to think like Wilberforce thought. To make 
the life-changing news of Jesus flow out to others, to speak of Jesus, to tell of his righteousness, and to love the world like someone who's been freed to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the power of God that changes eternity and changes the face of the planet. The question is, how will you respond? Will you trust these words? Will you check out Jesus? Will you make him the center, the king, the focus of your life? Or will you trust in your own righteous deeds? Why don't we pray that God would help us to see the great news of the gospel? Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you so much tonight that this news has reached our shores and our ears and we pray our hearts. We ask that tonight, that as we reflect on the way that your gospel has impacted people and children across the world with compassion and tear, we ask that it will move us, Lord, to see the root of why these things happen. That there is a righteousness not of our own that has been offered to us through your Son that we could be declared right with you. Lord, we pray tonight that your Spirit would make abundantly clear the way you have loved us in your Son. And we pray, Lord, that you would deliver us from that slavery we experience to ourselves and see the righteousness that is on offer from Jesus. Amen.